This is an OSV Podcast Network production. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com. This is Like a Mother with Katie McGrady, the podcast that brings you honest conversations about motherhood. The ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, the realities, the joys, the struggles, the pains, the moments where we think, I can't do this, and the moments where we rejoice that we are doing it, and everything in between. I'm your host, Katie McGrady. We are so happy you're here. Catholic moms, when was the last time your children experienced something truly beautiful? God calls out to us through beauty, and so often in the noise of our world, we miss it. Maybe you could consider sending your high schoolers to Beauty Will Save the World, a summer theology camp at the University of St. Francis in Fort Wayne, Indiana, taking place from July 28th to August 1st. There, they will be invited to encounter Christ through beauty. For more information and to register, visit the link down in our show notes or visit go.sf.edu beauty. It's an election year. This is not by any means a political podcast, but it is an election year. And however you feel about the prospects that we are facing when it comes to our presidential election, it does kind of feel a little bit deja vu-ish. The same people are running. The same team won the Super Bowl. I guess the only major difference is that Taylor Swift finally has a man worthy of her. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the main and I'm not pregnant. So those are the two like main differences between 2024 and 2020. Uh, But beyond, you know, just significant differences in terms of the culture. In this post COVID society, but still very much an election year that we're facing. I don't know about you, but I've noticed rhetoric, conversation, discussion and dialogue, disagreements, especially in online spaces, Twitter and Instagram primarily. There's a lot of tension. The other day, there was a a kerfuffle on Twitter, specifically the realms of Catholic Twitter, which if you're not on Catholic Twitter slash Catholic X, I don't recommend going on there. But there was a a kerfuffle because somebody had posted something, I'll say it, stupid and mean, that was purely rumor and conjecture about a variety of different bishops who have grown beards And then he tried to turn it into this, oh, well, they're anti-Francis bishops, and so they're growing beards because they're contrary to the Pope. And so some people called him out on it saying, hey, man, this is kind of a dumb tweet. This is kind of a silly take. This is just rumor, and this is not doing any good for the body of Christ. And so then some people got angrier about him for it, and so then he got mad back, and what I call a kerfuffle unfolded. I didn't get involved, by the way. I just lurked and watched from afar. Far be it from me to question the facial hair of the apostles, uh, the successors to the apostles, rather. But I, I will say this. That was just one ridiculous little example of the way people either say dumb things online, take things way out of context, make a mountain out of a molehill when it comes to disagreements. And, and that's, that's just like the very top of the surface basic type of tension that occurs oftentimes again in these online spaces we know that tension occurs at our dinner tables and among our friends and who among us didn't have battles during the last election cycle who among us wasn't questioning the decisions of friends and family and neighbors when it came to covid protocols who among us hasn't thought oh gosh i just totally disagree with that person and so therefore i dislike them we've all kind of been in these positions in these places and then as as moms, we have to also think about the fact that the way we're engaging online or the way we're talking to people that we disagree with in person, the way that conversation unfolds inside our home is formative to these little tiny humans or these big giant humans eating us out of health and home, where these conversations and the discussion and the dialogue and the tension and the disagreement, it's all incredibly formative for us, but especially for our children, how we have those conversations, how we work through those disagreements how we process information. I think it's a a timely thing to think about. And last year, we had a guest on our show. She was kind of a dream get as far as guests are concerned. I ended up having to record with her on a, a Saturday because that was the only time that the two of us had to be able to sit down 
and and have a discussion and a conversation. Sharon McMahon, America's government teacher, she's kind of lovingly known on Instagram. Over COVID, her Instagram profile just kind of exploded and she became a very level-headed voice in the midst of disagreement and discussion and tension. And when I sat down with her, I wanted to talk with her specifically about how to navigate what is sometimes a very tense, maybe dinnertime conversation, discussions with people online, both those you know and those you don't, how to cut through the biases and the preconceived notions and the arguments and the discussions online or the news that is or isn't presented very honestly and truthfully. How do you cut through that and have a level-headed conversation and recognize that people and principles can be held together but never at the expense of the person that you are trying to love and get to understand their perspective and know. This is a rebroadcast episode. We have quite a few new listeners to Like a Mother over the past few months. More people have found the show, and maybe you haven't scrolled all the way back into the feed. I'd highly recommend doing that. But I really wanted to put this episode back out with the fresh perspective of, hey, it's an election year. These conversations are going to get more and more tense. These discussions and and dialogues and disagreements and kerfuffles online, even sometimes about silly things, they're going to unfold. And how do we as, as women, how do we as, as mothers navigate those discussions and those conversations? I think Sharon McMahon's insight can really help us. So here's our rebroadcasted conversation here on Like a Mother with Sharon McMahon of Sharon Says So on Instagram about how to navigate difficult and challenging conversations. That only goes so far. (laughs) One can never tell. My children, they listen to a point (laughs) and then they stop listening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Sharon Mm -hmm, McMahon, mm -hmm. welcome to Like a Mother. I'm so excited to get to chat with you. Did your kids listen to you when you gave them like hard commands? Do not do this. (laughs) Or did they just like not pay attention? (laughs) Oh, well, thanks for having me. And my kids are not special. (laughs) They are special, (laughs) but they're not special. And what I mean by that is, of course, they're special and wonderful and unique, unique creatures in the world and all those things. But they're normal children. I don't have any kind of like special angelic children. <laughs> no, of course, they don't listen to me half the time. Um, how can, can you tell us how old your kids are? I know you don't like share your children publicly, but are they little? Are they big? Are yeah. they out of the house? No, my youngest is 10. Oh, and my oldest is 20. You're in the throes. So. Yes. So I currently have a college student and somebody who just graduated from high school. Um, I have an 18 year old and then I have a 16 year old who's in 10th oh grade. And a 10 year old. Mm-hmm. And a 10 was year that, old. Did you always want a big family? You know, I think when I was like a teenager, I remember thinking like, I would like five kids. Um, I, I have always liked children. I was always the person who babysat everybody else's mm. children. I was the like really good babysitter, you know, that the, that all the families, uh, vied for my yeah. time where they were like, we got to book the good babysitter. Um, and I think I counted once and during my, you know, teenage years, I babysat for over 90 families. Wow. Uh, that's how in demand a babysitter yeah. I was. So I've always enjoyed children. Um, and then of course I became a teacher, which is, I did, I never worked with small mm. children, like preschoolers, but, um, I've always liked children of any age. So to me, having children is, uh, you know, was, was a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that I would end up with four. Once I had a couple, I was like, you know, this might be enough. <laughs> and you know, uh, that's not how things always turn no. out. Uh, but, uh, I'm certainly not. Uh, sad that I ended up with four. My sister just had her seventh child, wow. like literally uh, 10 days yeah. ago. And so you get to be, are, mm-hmm. are, are they close? Like fun aunt? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. I get to, I got to be there for, you know, the delivery, et cetera. Man, I love that. Like, mm-hmm. I think this might be enough. Like, I think two is, that's that's kind of where my <laughs> husband and I good. are right now. It's like the van is, there's mm-hmm. more room, but it's also quite full right now. Like, there's a lot of things that mm-hmm. you tiny mm-hmm. humans bring, but you're, you know, always open. You never know what the Lord, with the yep. 10 to 20, do you ever find that you're split? Like, parenting a 20-year-old is vastly different than parenting a 10-year-old. You've got yeah. experience now with the 10 year old, like the youngest kind of gets like mom in full blown mom mode versus the guinea pig of the 20 mm-hmm. year old. Or is there like a nice integration? How, how do you balance that? Mm. The challenge, of course, when you have such a big split is that the older kids, the 16, 18, 20 year olds, uh, they have very 
you know, uh, adolescent, young adult interests, ways of talking to each other, uh, things they want to do together. And then, of course, the 10 year old desperately wants to be a part of it. <laughs> and everybody else is like, get out of here, little yeah. girl. You know what I mean? Like they she's very annoying yeah. to them. Uh, as that that's the job of the youngest child. It's to annoy their older yeah. siblings. That's their job. Um, so that, that is a source of tension right mm. now is the, you know, like the older kids wanted to, you know, mm -hmm. we want to watch a PG 13 mm -hmm. movie and the 10 year old is not old enough to do that. <laughs> and then, but I want to watch it with yeah. you. Why can't you watch the thing I can watch <laughs> it? You know, every family dynamic, no matter, um, no matter your age splits, no matter how many children you have, there are, there is going to be, uh, challenges unique to, mm -hmm. to that unique to how your family mm -hmm. is set up. No family is immune. What is the best part about that gap? Mm. You know, the best part I feel like was because my three older kids were a little bit older when my fourth was born, I really got to spend a lot of time with her. Mm. I, my oldest is a boy and then I have three girls. And um, I got to spend you know, more alone time with her than I would have if I had them in really rapid succession. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I had a six-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old and mm -hmm. a newborn. Um, so I, I didn't, I really got a chance to bond with the youngest one. And it was really fun to see the older kids be, um, you know, sort of step into that a uh, little bit more maturity, mm -hmm. responsibility, helping out. Um, I really, I, when they were young, I really liked the age split. Yeah. That had. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I, when they're young, you liked the age split, right? I find sometimes like my five-year-old and my, my almost three-year-old, it's like you're you're just far enough away to where one can be annoying to the other, but you're close enough to where when like eventually you're like 13 and 10, I can say go outside and like you're going to be fine uh -huh, with each uh -huh. other and hopefully like no phones get in the mix of any of that. I'm I'm curious, you, you mentioned you were a teacher. Did you teach all the way through having mm -hmm. babies? Did you take time off? What did that look like? Mm. Teaching is such a hard job to take leave yeah. from. Any teacher will tell you this is really hard to even call in yeah. sick one day because there's so much work that goes into even just being absent for a day. So like many teachers, uh, lots of teachers plan on having children at, towards the end of the yeah. school yep. year <laughs> so they can just be out for the rest of the year and then be off for the summer. That's how most people try to work it. Of course, that's not how it always works out. But um, so I I was teaching up through the birth of my third child. And, you know, my kids are all born in the latter portion of the school year. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so then I would I would have the rest of the summer yeah. off uh, and go back to work at when school started again. Yeah. In the fall. Smart, smart. I am. Um... I wanted that. We did not plan accordingly. Uh, my husband's a teacher, though, mm. so he wasn't like out like he didn't mm. need to be out. Uh, it would have mm. been helpful. But um, I so I love that. Like you didn't want to give up your career like you liked being a teacher. What mm. what drew you to education yeah. in the first place? Mm. I had, you know, first of all, I have always had uh, the, that sort of uh, tendency, you know, like I can look back on my life now and be like, oh, sheesh. I've been doing this since I was a young child. Like it's my, I feel like in many ways it is my, uh, you know, te temperament. Mm -hmm. It's an innate gifting. I was the child who was going to the uh, library, checking out books, and then creating curriculum for my younger siblings. <laughs> so they loved on that. topics they didn't <laughs> want to learn about uh, that I had absolutely no authority to teach on. Like for example, when I was nine. I got a bunch of books out of the library on a wilderness first aid and then pre pre proceeded to create an entire wilderness first aid curriculum for my younger sibling who, who at the time was like seven. And it, I'm not kidding. I was like, I was trying to teach her how to apply a tourniquet, you know, like things I have, I have absolutely no, no, no business <laughs> teaching. I just read it in a book, tourniquet, you know, like if your arm is cut off, you need to cut off the blood supply. Yeah. Hello. Uh, and she, of course, did not appreciate that. That's just one of many examples. I remember going to my mom and being like, she's not listening. <laughs> you know, like she's not listening to my synchronized swimming lessons. <laughs> um, she's not listening to my cooking instruction. And, you know, my mom was like, mm, 
maybe she doesn't want to learn about how to julienne carrots, Sharon. <laughs> You're not Julia Child. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. No, no, you've never julienned a carrot. So maybe don't try to teach other people how to yeah. do it. Um, anyway, so that has always been a, an innate uh, thing that I I've desire. enjoyed. Doing. Yeah. But yeah. But I remember, you know, for a period of time, sort of uh, in high school, early college age, I really wanted to become a physician. Mm. uh, I'm very interested in science and the human body and things like that. And uh, so it was on this sort of like pre-med science track. And I remember sitting in a in a classroom uh, one day uh, and this is a weird experience that I don't know how to describe, (laughs) but it was almost like a beam of light opened in the ceiling above me. And, uh, this sort of like knowing settled on my shoulders Mm -hmm. that said, uh, you are meant to be a teacher. Mm. And like in that moment, I, I felt like immediately like that is absolutely Mm -hmm. true. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that, I just ran full tilt towards it truly from that moment on. I don't know how to describe it. I don't have an explanation other than I had a moment in a classroom where I had this feeling, this very overwhelming feeling where it was like, that is what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that, uh, for that experience, even though it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Holy spirit's always weird, right? Like, like there's no, (laughs) there's no explanation, uh, other than like, that's a calling placed upon your life in a really beautiful way. Uh, and you responded to Mm -hmm. it. And then like this really cool thing happened called Instagram and like you started teaching the world. <laughs> Can you tell us that story? And like, I, so I'll tell you, I remember I, it was Carlos Whitaker, uh, who I've interviewed a couple of times, mm-hmm. like tagged you in something on his Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I clicked on it. I was like, who is this? Oh, she's going to do a civics class. Like, that's cool. I was a civics nerd in school, mm-hmm. went to rally, went to state, like, tell me all the things about the government that you can like listen to mm-hmm. news radio constantly. and. Uh, so I click on it and I was like, oh, she's a good follow. And like, you know how you, that's a thing now where you're mm. like, that's a good follow. I'm going to I'm going to ring that bell. Mm-hmm. Like we're watching those things. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. it was just this really cool mm-hmm. progression of, oh, more people are starting to follow Sharon. Oh, more people are listening to what mm. she's saying. Oh, like she's doing this for real. Like she's teaching courses. How did that all happen? Mm. You know, it happened as a result of mm. COVID. That's the that's the short answer is, uh, you know, again, sometimes when you look back on the uh, breadcrumbs in your life, you don't realize what's happening in Mm -hmm. the moment, but you can turn around and see like, well, sheesh, that's absolutely what happened. Um, My husband in um, 2019 was diagnosed with stage five kidney failure and um, very unexpected completely out of the blue, literally went to his annual exam feeling like. I'm just here for my checkup. Mm. Uh, and his doctor was like, and you need a kidney transplant. There's there, there is no coming back from this one. Um, the thing about kidneys is once they stop working, they don't come back mm-hmm. online unless you have like an infection or something of that nature that can be cleared up. But once your little nephrons are dead, they're dead. There's no resurrecting the nephrons. <laughs> that's the name of your book. So <laughs> that's coming out. Uh, that's yeah. right. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, it's very catchy. Um, so when COVID began, um, I was in the process of going through the approval to donate one of my kidneys to my yeah. husband. And I, I remember being at the Mayo Clinic in early March of 2020, um, where they had signs up, but this was before anybody else was being asked to like wear masks or anything. It was just a like, hey, if you are coming from a foreign country you should wear this mask. You know, like it was very still, nobody knew what was Mm -hmm. coming, you know? Um, and then once COVID really started ramping up, um, we learned exactly how, uh, devastating COVID was for people with, with bad kidneys, um, people with stage five kidney failure at the beginning of the pandemic, when there were no treatments or vaccines or anything available, um, had a 30 to 50% chance of dying mm. from COVID. Um, and that is a huge risk. If I asked you to take a 30 to 50% risk of your life, um, you know, on, a, on a, any given day, that would probably not be a risk you'd be willing to assume, yeah. right? Like that, that's too great a risk. So COVID really left us uh, feeling very isolated and very, uh, you know, you know, for, for, a legitimate reason, right? 
but it was, it was just a very isolating time. And at, at the time I was running a, a different business and, um, you know, there were all kinds of different, uh, rules about indoor masking, things of that nature. And I was running a photography studio and people don't want to have their picture taken with a mask on, which is completely understandable. Um, but neither could I take the risk of getting COVID and bringing it home to my husband. So I was basically forced to temporarily close my business, which was very busy. This was not a casual hobby. I did this like way more than full time and to put a temporary pause on my business for, you know, from mid-March um, you know, through the, throughout 2020, it gave me a uh, time that I had, would never, ever, ever have had if I, um, if COVID had not happened, it gave me time during my mm. day. I would have been way too busy, uh, working in my business. My husband ended up getting a kidney transplant in August of 2020, not from me, but from a kidney that my mom donated oh. to a stranger oh, the chain. so that my husband, yes, mm. could get one from a stranger. Um, and so then after a organ transplant, your health is even more fragile Mm -hmm. than it was previously because you have all of this, uh, suppression of your immune system. So all that to say, I found myself with some time (laughs) on my hands in 2020. And I also started noticing a lot of misinformation floating around the interwebs, things that were just objectively Mm -hmm. false. Like for example, I saw one man posting on Facebook about how when people arrive uh, at the on the campus of the Electoral College, and I bet as a civics nerd, you're like, "Mm, I'd love to go there if it exists. That's not that's not real. Yeah. Where is that? That's a good field trip. I've never seen it. Uh huh. I would love to visit the Electoral College. I mean, like the Electoral College is not a place. It's not a place you can go. It's not like I got a degree from the Electoral College. No. It college is in fact, you know, many ways in modern language, a misnomer. Um, it's a, it's a thing. It's not a place. So things like that, that are objectively provably Mm -hmm. just not true. So I decided that I would just start making some little explainer videos that would hope, hopefully be easy to understand that didn't tell you who to vote for. That didn't say this candidate is good. This candidate is bad. Um, that just provided people with education so they could make an educated Mm -hmm decision for themselves yeah. you finally got to make your lesson plans that's right look at me for, for, i'm out here is your writing sister my listening lesson now plans. is she learning the things now <laughs> i um she go ahead go ahead please go ahead no she uh yes she now she messages me on instagram now she'll read what i'm saying and be like that's weird <laughs> isn't it you know like now she yeah now she yeah. listens <laughs> i uh i love this story that there was space made against your will like it just the space has to mm-hmm. be made we have to protect is he okay now your husband's good he's doing good. well now he's doing good. well praise now. god for mm-hmm. that i yeah. um but like out of ashes like out of an objectively awful circumstance globally yep really beautiful things yep. also occurred right god can write straight with crooked lines right. like there's and like this necessary hole of misinformation disinformation let's use the big term nobody likes fake news right like there's there's lies out there mm-hmm. on every side and at the same time, I, I find that when there's lies, there's a desire for truth. Like if there's a, a misinformation, mm-hmm. there's more people that want the correct information and then have to go hunt for it mm-hmm. themselves. And you get like a choose your own adventure version of information that you arrive at. <laughs> Where is the Electoral College? Mm-hmm. What's the address? Can we go on our second grade field mm-hmm. trip? Is it in Canton, Ohio? Yeah. Is that where it is? That's what that's what I found on I Google. think it's in the the place <laughs> where the election wasn't stolen. I don't know, like where or where it was stolen, wherever that location is. Um, I, you use a phrase a lot, right? Party, not are people over party. Um, like this idea, principle, principle, principle over party. Over, uh, and okay, so this mm-hmm. is the reason I'm saying people is because I was having a conversation with my friend over the weekend who was incredibly excited that I was interviewing you, and is like a diehard fan. And she she said, mm. principle over party. And I went, yeah, I mean, you can't love people unless you have like real principles. And that's why it's like kind of been sitting in my mm. head. How was that how you mm. approached your classroom? Is that how you approach your kids? Mm-hmm. You know, like this, you are who you are. And there's no duplicity in mm-hmm. you. Like you are sharing on a podcast. Mm. You are sharing on your Instagram. You are sharing in the kitchen. You are sharing when you're putting on your mm. makeup. How did you develop that sense of integrity? Was it just that's a virtue that mm. you just have always had. Is that something that you've had to learn how to like, this is non-negotiable 
to where you can say principle over party and love people well because of it. Hmm. I think sometimes, I mean, I think this is like a multifaceted answer. Some of it is that I have an innate ability to compartmentalize things Mm. and to be able to sit here and listen to somebody that is uh, saying something that I don't necessarily agree with and I don't have to feel mad about it. And I know that that is not a universal experience. (laughs) Sometimes uh, people feel like they do need to feel mad about it. You know, like if we're having a conversation where you're just talking about how much you hate people of of certain race and they're the worst, I, I might feel a little mad about probably get mad at you about yeah. that. Um, but if you're just expressing your opinions about like, well, I'm voting for Bob because Bob uh, is stands for X, Y, and Z. Well, if I don't agree with that, if I don't like Bob in particular, um, I, I I have the ability to just be like, well, I don't I don't need to feel mad about mm-hmm. that. So part of it is that, right? Like, and I understand that that is, uh, there are some people who can do that and that is more challenging for other people. So I'm not, I'm not holding myself up as some kind of holy grail, (laughs) uh, look at me in my ivory tower. Like I figured it out. That's just, it's an innate, uh, ability to do that. But it is also something that I have practiced and Mm. I do think that we can all get better Mm. at, and you get so good at it in a high school classroom where everyone's opinions are dumb. <laughs> I taught freshmen for five years. It's a straight to heaven ticket, right? <laughs> everyone's opinions are dumb. No, I'm just teasing, of course. But you know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. they have, um, they're not well thought out. They're just, they read something somewhere. Mm-hmm. They heard it from their friend. Uh, so you get really, really good at that straight faced. Mm. Um, like, okay, interesting. Tell me, um, tell me why you think uh, the government should give 10 free iPhones to everyone. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like where you take it very seriously mm-hmm. um, and without being like, well, that is really dumb. Yeah. Thanks for coming yeah. today. Like that's not how you make a connection to a mm-hmm. student, right? So um, that that sort of like ability to actually be curious about why somebody might say something is a, is a skill that I've been practicing my entire yeah. adult life. Um, and I, you know, like if, if somebody wants to make a ridiculous statement, like the government should give everybody 10 free iPhones, um, I can, that's actually, that's actually interesting mm-hmm. to me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't agree with it, but it's interesting. How did you come to believe mm-hmm. that? And why do you believe <laughs> it? Um, so approaching something with curiosity, yeah. I find allows you to absent yourself from the feelings of judgment mm-hmm. about how, you know, how somebody feels about a particular issue. And then in terms of our children, um, we have those same kind of discussions around the dinner table all of the time where, you know, we will talk about, um, what do you think is going to happen with the upcoming election? Who do you, why do you think, um, older voters show up so much more than voters in their twenties? What is it about that group that, you know, that uh, cares more about that type of civic participation. Um, Just having those sorts of discussions without the expectation that our children know all of the correct answers and allowing them to sort of explore what might be possible. That's a great line. Because I do think, especially Mm -hmm. when they're little, so much of your parenting Mm -hmm. is focused on making sure they do the right thing. You don't want them to be obnoxious. You don't Mm -hmm. want them to be facetious. You don't want them to be rude. But then they do get to a point where mm-hmm. like, okay, I've, I've formed behavior. I can't force belief. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, do you mm-hmm. struggle with that at times? Like, no, no, no. This is the objective fact and truth. Or this is like, you do a very good job of, like, I couldn't tell you where you sit on certain issues. I know where you sit factually, but mm-hmm. like, that's a good thing. Like that there is kind of not an ambiguity. There's no duplicity in this, but just like an unbiasedness. But obviously at your dinner table with your children, like there are principles and there are, are things that you foster mm-hmm. within them. Does it ever... Like alone by yourself, you don't have to like reveal your deep, dark secrets here. But like, is there a thought where you're like, oh, my gosh, like I did that wrong or I need to do this better tomorrow Mm. or they are totally off the mark. And how do I get them back on the path? Like, what does that feel like? Mm, mm. Yeah, there there have definitely been times where one of my children in particular um, was um, heading in a direction that I did not like. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is my job as a parent, yeah. right? It is, it is, it is my job to help them develop critical thinking. 
But it is also my job to help instill my values into my children. Right. Doesn't mean that they're going to follow them forever or that they're going to agree with them, but that is actually like objectively your yeah. job as a parent to do that. Um, so there have been times for sure where one of my children was like, you know, I had to give them like big side eyes all of the time. Um, and I, uh, legitimate side eye, like you, but here's the thing is, um, my children know that no opinion will go unchallenged in our, fa in our mm. family. You can say the thing that I really want to hear, and I am still going to play devil's advocate. Yeah. I'm still going to play devil's advocate because that is an important skill in critical thinking, is learning how to defend your yeah. opinions. Not in an argumentative way, not in a spirit of just like, we need to argue about all these things. But if you, your beliefs should withstand yeah. a storm. Your beliefs, you know, should stand up to scrutiny. And if nobody ever scrutinizes your beliefs, you can't develop that skill. Yeah. Right. And I would rather it be uh, that skill be developed in a controlled, friendly setting right. like our dinner table uh, than developing those skills out there with, you know, people with nefarious. Intent. Yeah. With somebody. They're yeah. important skills to have. Yeah. Hey, Catholic moms, are you looking for things for your children to take care of and to do this summer? What are the experiences that you're hoping they have? Do you want them to encounter something beautiful, to experience beauty? This is how God calls out to us through beauty. And when our world is so noisy, when we're scrolling, when we're, we're texting, when we're watching screens, it's impossible to sometimes see that beauty. So maybe you should send your high schoolers to Beauty Will Save the World, a summer theology camp at the University of St. Francis in Fort Wayne, Indiana. It happens from July 28th to August 1st. We have a link down in the show notes if you want to learn more. It's at this camp that they're going to be invited to encounter Christ specifically through beauty. It sounds really unique, really fantastic. For more info and so you can register your teens, visit the link down in our show notes or go to go.sf.edu slash beauty. We're grateful that they sponsored our episode today. Oh, I love that. I mean, like, yeah, like my child's not potty trained by a hired hand. Like I do it. Like mm -hmm. I, so I need to teach my child mm -hmm. a critical thinking skill because that's like, that's, That's the right. whole responsibility in the same way that like, you know, you would want your child to make a right choice. You can't expect them to make a right choice if you've never given them circumstances to make choices in the first place. To make a wrong to choice. Make, or to make a That's wrong right. choice. Right. Yeah. How how did you approach? I'm just like fascinated by this because I think that's a, a wonderful conversation is a lost art, I think, in families. Like mm -hmm. my mom has a hard, fast rule when we walk in the house. It's just my sister and I. We're both in our 30s. Uh, she's about to become a nun. I obviously am home with babies. Um, we walk in the house, very different circumstances of life, and we have to put our phones at the table. Like there's a front table and she mm -hmm, makes us put our mm -hmm. phones in a basket so that we don't get distracted because she's watched over the years like this conversation erode because everybody's staring at a screen. So there's a lost art to that. It sounds like it's incredibly important to you. How do you all kind of set those boundaries? Mm. Like, nope, we're at the dinner table. We're mm. not looking at devices. We're not looking at screens. We are with one mm -hmm. another. Like what does the McMahon home look like in terms of the, the boundaries with all of that? Mm. Mm. We have a very hard and fast, no phones at the table rule. Mm. Um, and uh, the kids now, uh, police each other. Oh, I love there that. are times where I'm in the middle of doing something where I'm like, I just got to finish what I'm doing here and dinner. You know, my husband does most of the cooking and I'll come to the table. Like, I'm just going to wrap something up here real quick. And the children are all immediately like mom, no phones at the, the table. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so they, they now have, uh, really internalized yeah. that, that, uh, belief system and police it on my behalf. That's great. <laughs> I don't even have to yeah. ask them to get off their yeah. phones anymore. Uh, that again, that's not to hold myself up as any no, kind of yeah. like, Ooh, I have cracked the code. They're on their phones more than I would like in other circumstances. Right. But I do feel like if you, um, you have the, you carve out those kind of boundaries mm -hmm. where you, it just says to the kids, we're prioritizing mm. the, this 20, 30 minutes together, whatever it is, this is important to us. Um, and we, you know, 
This is an important part of the day. You can go back to watching your YouTube videos, your squirrel maze YouTube videos (laughs) in a half an hour. You know what I mean? Like literally, you could go back to watching your Mark Rober videos in just a few minutes. What do your kids think about their mom being America's government teacher? Like, is it weird for them? Do mm. they love it? Are they like, that's my mom? Do they not follow at all? Like, mm. we get the government all the time, guys. Like, what's that like? <laughs> Every oh, Three of my kids are really into yeah. it. My current 16-year-old, who's in 10th grade, she finds it wildly cringy. Really? Wildly cringy. It. Because all of her friends follow yeah. me, and then they want to talk to her about oh. it. And they will they will take screenshots of me mid face, yeah. you know, like where I'm making like a really <laughs> terrible face because I it's like I have a very expressive face. Great. And so they will they will like screenshot me making like a weird expression and then they'll text it. It's a her. meme. They're like constantly trying to meme yeah. me. I love yes. it. And so my one daughter is like, I wish why why can't my mom be just work at a bank like everyone else's mom? <laughs> You know, like job. why does why can't you work at the DMV? You um, could probably so, fix it. You know, <laughs> so she's the only one who sort of feels that way, and maybe she'll grow out of it. Uh, the other ones uh, think it's it's a huge amount of clout for my son in the, on, in college. Like his profess, mostly with his professor. Yeah, as he used it, not he, yeah. His other classmates are like, that's nice, um, but it's his professors who know who mm-hmm. I am. Um, my 10-year-old asks every adult at her school, doesn't matter if it's a substitute <laughs> PE teacher, do you know who my mom is? A lady in the, that works in the recess monitor, do you know who my mom is? Um, and we don't live in a very no. big town. And I, I feel like I knew everybody in this town before, before all of this happened. And so uh, chances are good I already knew them. And or that at least we knew of yeah. each other because we probably have... 28 mutual Facebook yeah. friends. Um, and but now it's like next level. And she finds that incredibly fascinating. Yeah. That like the lady in the office at school knows yeah. you. The 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 substitute lunch lady knows you. Um so it's fun yeah. for her. She enjoys it. I love mm-hmm. that. Um she uses it as an as a and you know, like she's very outgoing and loves to talk yeah. to people. And so it's a it's it's not like a you know, adults have their pleasantries that they exchange mm-hmm. with each other. Oh, where are you from? That's like the the a pleasantry adults exchange. Where are yeah. you from? What do you do? Uh, her her entrance into a conversation with somebody is, do you know my, do you mother? Know my mom? Sharon says so. You know, do you know my mom? <laughs> she says a lot of Sharon things. Have you heard so. it? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I, yeah. I wondered because it's like there's a um, I had a very strange moment and like far different numbers wise. But we I, my husband was at an event with my child and I was flying in from out of town and this woman came up to him and asked to take a picture with our kid. And Tommy was like, no. Mm. And she's like, well, I see her on Katie's Instagram all the time. And that was like the day I was like, should I not be putting my children on the internet? Because this is weird. Like you feel Mm. like this. So it's like sometimes there's access. Like people feel they have, I mean, I did it to you when Mm -hmm. we sat down. It was like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I know you because of what's shared. Mm -hmm. Do you have to, you do, you keep your kids off the internet. Like, what's the balance? Like, what's the line for Sharon McMahon of, okay, this Mm. is, I'm America's government teacher. I'm not America's mom, even though there is a motherliness to the way you're teaching Mm. and sharing information. Like, sometimes moms just have to say it like it is and you say it like it is. But Mm -hmm. I'm not asking you to tell us the things that you protect, but like, how do you discern, I guess, is the question. What, Mm. where's the line Mm. for you of, we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. this issue. We're not going to talk about this issue or like, I'm going to educate people on this, but I'm going to keep this kind of close to the chest. You didn't tell people who you voted for. And I'm grateful for that. But like Mm -hmm. you tell people what you think Mm -hmm. about guns, right? Like, so like, what's the line Mm -hmm. for where you share and where you don't? Mm. Well, in terms of my kids, a lot of it has to do with consent Mm -hmm. that I, you know, like my 20 year old son, um, he would love to be on my Instagram every day. (laughs) He loves it. Uh, he would that would be so fun for him. Uh, and he's old enough to understand the nature of the internet. Yeah. He's grown up with it, and he's old enough to give consent mm-hmm. and deal with the repercussions of his of his choices, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and m- my teenage girls, who are sixteen and eighteen now, mostly do not want to be yeah. on my Instagram. Um, they there's 
there's kind of this like, I don't consent to that. I don't, yeah. I don't want a million people looking at my picture. Mm. Um, and I, I have to respect yeah. that, right? Like I wouldn't, if Chris, my husband, uh, you know, had an Instagram that was, that he posted on, I wouldn't want him posting all kinds of pictures of me without me being like, yeah, that one's yeah. okay. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I, I can appreciate that. My 10 year old would also love to be on my Instagram all the time. But again, as her parent, it's my job to maintain that boundary mm -hmm. on her behalf yeah. until she is old enough to understand the repercussions and old enough to give like a fully informed yeah. consent. Yeah. This is not a, an, a, you know, this is not condemning people who make different choices mm -hmm. than me. This is, these are just the choices I have mm -hmm. made. Um, I see, I have friends that put their kids on the, on Instagram all the time. And I, I enjoy seeing their kids yeah. on Instagram, you know, like your little girl is so cute. She's getting so big. So this is not a judgment on my right. part. It's just a choice that I've made. Um, and some of it really does. I, I used to share a lot more of them, but some of it has to do with the size of my well, yeah, platform the and the number yeah. of strangers yeah. who have, who would have access to it in terms of things that I, um, you know, like I talk about my feelings on, uh, versus things that I mm -hmm. don't things that I will, um, you know, like abortion is a topic that I provide quite a bit of education on, not in terms of like medical procedures, but from a legal mm -hmm. standpoint, right. From a United States law standpoint. Um, but I, I, I have hold a lot of space for people to form their own opinions mm -hmm. on that topic mm -hmm. without me telling them how they should feel on it. Um, and I also understand the nature of that conversation is it is intensely personal for some yeah. people and it is very, very deeply held. And there is truly nothing that I can say, uh, to you or anyone in this moment that would ch likely change your opinion on that topic, mm -hmm. right? Like I could give you 25 facts about X or Y, um, and you would probably not be open to changing your mind. And of course that's not my goal. Um, and so there are, if I began to say, well, here's what I think should happen with these following 10 uh, Supreme Court cases or these laws, um, then that means that people would not be getting the fact-based education mm -hmm. that I uh, think is important to provide. If you if you view what I am saying as like, she's just trying to convince me of her opinion, um, then everything you, you are very likely to tune out anything else that I have right. to say. Right. Um, if I am violating something that you feel like is a deeply held moral value for you, then it's hard for you to be like, well, I wonder what Sharon has to say about this topic. So some of it is, is, um, understanding, um, where the, you know, like what, what is more important in this moment? Mm -hmm. What's what I think is more important in this moment is to be able to provide education on what is happening at the Supreme Court. What does this 250 page dis Supreme Court decision say and mean? Yeah. Um, to me, that is more important. Um, providing that education so you can make your own educated opinions. That's more important than me trying to convince you of the rightness of my yeah. opinions. Yeah. Um, you're not likely to change your mind anyway, right? But but you might find me um describing in plain language, what a Supreme court opinion says, you might find that useful. Yeah. Right. So there are some topics that I do not have, make any effort to change people's minds on. Mm -hmm. I have, I hold space for you to have your opinion yeah. on a, on a given topic. Some topics though, to me are, um, moral imperatives. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, it is a moral imperative that we, um, that we not shoot children in classrooms. Yeah. That, that to me, there's, there's no flip side yeah. to like, well, sometimes people really want to No, that's ne <laughs> There's no scenario under which you can make a legitimate choice to shoot children in schools, yeah. right? There is no salute. There's no legitimate scenario to that. Um, and I feel like our children have the right to life mm -hmm. in a school yeah. building, right? They have the right to not be shot in mm -hmm. a school building. Um, then the same goes for teachers, mm. right? Yeah. Like don't teachers, shouldn't teachers have a reasonable assumption of safety at their workplace? Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like that's too much to ask. Other countries make this yeah. work. So to me, the right to life in a school, um, 
outweighs anybody's desire to become a collector of, you know, antique weapons or whatever. And I'm not, I'm actually not anti-gun. I think people have the right to own Mm -hmm. guns. I definitely believe the cat is out of the bag. We're not going to round up all the guns in this country. You want to have a gun in your house to protect your, protect your family. You want to go hunting and whatever. I'm, I, zero issues with that. Um, my issues are, you know, like, I think that there are some very, very common sense, um, gun safety laws that 80% of Americans believe are important Mm -hmm. that we are just choosing not to enact, um, because doing so is not politically expedient for a portion of our leadership. That's the only reason, uh, 80% of Americans think that it is perfectly uh, reasonable and desirable to have universal background checks. Yeah. You know, like that you are actually not a convicted, you don't have a domestic violence mm-hmm. conviction, that you're not a, a sex offender uh, when you're allowed to oh, to buy these, all of these weapons. Um, so, the, you know, that, that's an example. I'm not anti-gun. I just think that there are some obstacles that we can place in the mm-hmm. path of people who want to harm our yeah. children and teachers and yeah. schools. Um, and to me, there's just, you. there's nothing... There's no legitimate reason people should be allowed to shoot ch- to shoot our children yeah, in, in schools. schools yeah. There's no legitimate reason for yeah. that. So that's just one example. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, racism, anti-Semitism, things of that nature. You can't convince me that there is a legitimate side to hating somebody because of their skin mm-hmm. color. Like, we're, I'm just not going to tolerate that. Yeah, I'm just like there is there is no flip side to right. that. Um, that's a good way of putting. We're it. not going to pretend. We're not going to pretend like the Holocaust. There's a flip side to the Holocaust, right? Right. right? There's a flip side yeah. to that. The answer is no. Yeah. That was terrible. We're not doing that again. Mm-hmm. There's no flip side to enslaving millions of of people in the United States. There's no flip side. No, mm-hmm. it was terrible. Morally wrong. Should have happened. Yeah. Um. So those are those are sort of my, you know, like I have we have in our family what we call McMahon moral imperatives. Oh, I like that. Um. And those are those are a few of them. Um, we have the we have a moral imperative to uphold the uh, dignity and equality of all people, yeah. uh, and if you are violating those things, um, then that goes against my moral values. And I understand that not everybody is going to agree with me, and that's okay. That's okay. You're not. You're I not. I can offended also hold that, space right. for the fact that yeah, I can hold space for the fact that you disagree with me. Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah, I I love you said that earlier. Like I'm not bothered when somebody disagrees or like when somebody has that dumb or objectively wrong opinion, I'm going to do what I can to inform them uh, and recognize that I know my audience. It sounds like, and this is what I was getting as you were saying, I wrote it down. You know the goal, which is not change Mm -hmm. the mind. It's to inform the mind because information allows Mm -hmm. one to potentially change an opinion. You know, could drive someone away. You do a great job of the be block, be blessed method. Like, sorry, like you completely mm-hmm, missed mm-hmm. the point of this and you've said something cruel and inappropriate. So that you're you no longer get to participate in this part, you know. Um, and I really mm-hmm, respect mm-hmm. that because like holding that boundary is really important. But then also that uh, that more moral imperative. How do you think? And this will be my last question before we get to the real last question, even though we could keep going. Uh, there's it sounds like as a mom, this deeply held conviction of, OK, these are our moral imperatives. This is what we do at our dinner table. These are the topics that I think are very important to educate upon. Or like, I love the way you put it in your question box. How can I help? Like a true helpfulness. Sharon McMahon, at the end of the day, the mom, the educator, the Instagram famous woman, the host, like all those various titles, the wife, all those various titles, like what, what defines this was, this was a good day. Like this was a success. Mm. I can go to bed pleased with what I did or like, Mm this was bad. Like I need to do better in this regard. Like how, what is your measurement of peace and success? Mm. You know, working in this space comes with a tremendous amount of, um, criticism. Yeah, it really does. And, uh, sometimes that criticism crosses into, uh, things that are, um, they hurt your feelings yeah, or they are, they're actually, they're actually scary. Yeah. You know, sometimes that, that happens too. Um, and so this job requires a tremendous amount of, um, courage, uh, and, and fortitude. And those are, you know, things that are sometimes people are naturally more courageous 
you know, like you hear about, you know, thinking about the archetypal Harry Potter houses, you know, the Gryffindors are the courageous ones, right? <laughs> like it's not the Hufflepuffs running towards the burning building. Um, so some people are naturally more courageous by virtue of personality, et cetera. Um, but it courage is a, is a virtue that we can all practice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, same, you know, the same thing with, you know, you know, all other virtues are virtues that we can practice. And, but courage is required to make all of the other virtues possible. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this sort of, um, I want to say it was Maya Angelou who said that courage is the most important virtue because it requires courage to practice all of the other mm -hmm. virtues, it requires courage to love. It requires courage to have fortitude, it you know, all of these other things. Um, so a good day for me, um, is one in which no one tells me to kill myself. <laughs> no one, uh, sends me threatening hate mail. Uh, nobody, uh, uh, says that, uh, you know, threatens my life, but more, more seriously, um, a good day for me is one in which I feel like I made an impact mm. in a positive way. I impacted some people, even if a lot of people disagreed with mm. me. Um, and sometimes it's really difficult to ascertain one's impact on a given day. Right. Um, my hope is that someday when I'm gone, that, you know, this is, by the way, something that I think parents really need to be aware of is that someday uh, your children are probably going to be able to gain access to your social media accounts when, when you're dead. <laughs> That's terrifying, right? Um, they're, yes, right? They're, it, that is very much true. Just like you can look through your dead parents' closet, mm -hmm. um, soon, the, soon it, the, there will be uh, systems and processes in place um, for the family of a loved one to, to gain access to their, mm -hmm. uh, social media accounts or to log into their phone, uh, and where the, all the stored passwords are things of that nature. I am operating on the assumption that someday my children are going to gain access to my social media accounts, that they're going to go be able to go through and read all of the DMS that I sent to mm -hmm. people. They're going to be able to go through my internet archive and see how I responded to things. They're going to be able to go back and watch all of my videos. Um, and you know, maybe relive some good memories of me of like, oh, I always loved it when mom said that or whatever. Um, but really more than anything, what I want my, the sense that I want my children to have when I'm gone someday is like mom lived with integrity. Mm. That mom was not one person on the internet, but in the DMs, she was cursing people out and, uh, make it trashing, trashing the appearance of that other person. Um, and you know, like that she didn't have this duplicitousness mm -hmm. to who she was that, I, that to me, that's a very important thing to think about. Like someday I want my children to know yeah. that. It comes across. Um, I mean, if I'm allowed to affirm you, it definitely comes across from thousands of miles away, uh, on a phone. Is that what you want them to remember? Like, that's always our final question. Like you're gone. They've gained access to mom's phone. And it's a terrifying thought. <laughs> Sometimes it's a great call, <laughs> it, like it call is. out for folks. Um, I, I often think about like when they find the post that I wrote on their birthday, is that going to be precious to them? Mm. Or are they going to be like, Oh, cringe mom. Like you didn't have to write about mm. all my milestones on my second birthday. Um, but like what, like, what do you want them to remember? Like they are gathered at the house mm. after they've put you in the ground and they're toasting to mom. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you want them to remember about you? Mm. I hope they remember, um, my sense of humor. Um, uh, as I mentioned the, a sense of integrity of like mm. mom lived out her values on a, on a daily basis. Um, I hope they remember the idea, um, that, you know, that the sort of these ideas that I try to talk about all of the time, which is, you know, loving your neighbor and how can we, how can I help? I hope that, I hope that someday my children, you know, that refrain echoes through their mm. mind. How can I help? Mm. Right? Like if we, if we sort of uh, use that as a guiding principle of our lives, how can I help? Um, in many ways, that is an embodiment of loving your neighbor, yeah. right? How can I help? Yeah. What can I do? Um, and sometimes people are not always able to articulate what they need and you have to, uh, you have to do your best to intuit that. But um, I hope that that is that, that principle is one that they remember me for. Um, 
that I was always trying to look for a way to help yeah. and doing my best to, um, doing my best to live that out. Yeah. yeah. Sharon, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. This was great. Mm. I, um, mm, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Where can we follow you? I mean, I'm sure many people do already, but where can more folks follow you and where can we listen to your podcast? Tell us about that real quick. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sharon Says So. My podcast is called Here's Where It Gets Interesting. And uh, we do a mixture of uh, interview podcasts with interesting people, but also a documentary mini series on t- topics from history. And you can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. It's, it's a great listen. I listened to you when I was in Minnesota. I had quite a quite a drive up to Duluth and you kept me company through most of it. Oh, uh, so, thank, thank you so much for joining us, Sharon. I really appreciate it. Mm, my pleasure. When I had this conversation with Sharon, I, I remember closing the computer, making sure the files had recorded correctly. And I, um, I went into the living room to have a conversation with my husband. He knew I was really excited about the interview. And he said, how'd it go? And I said, gosh, she's so wise. You know, I really appreciated her perspective. She's raised kids kind of through the spectrum, littles to bigs. She's navigated difficult discussions and conversations with those kids. She's walked through hard times with her family. And the thing that kind of has lived in my head since I had that conversation with her about a year ago has been this idea that we can have challenging conversations with our children. That we can allow our home, our dinner tables, our living rooms, bedtime. We can allow these times where our kids feel safe and where they know they are with people that are going to help them navigate these difficult conversations. That it's in those places and spaces that we should hope our children want to talk to us about this difficult stuff. That our, our kids want to come to us with these big questions or these, these confusing moments or these I'm trying to navigate and understand my perspective and my beliefs and and how my mom and dad have hopefully grounded me in something solid and and firm so that as I'm I'm walking through places and spaces where the discussions are very tense or where the conversations are you know quite wide ranging I know what I believe I know what I'm about a couple of weeks ago we had a conversation with Katie Gray about making space and time for our kids to be able to talk to us and and I think this conversation with Sharon that we rebroadcast today is a real good companion to navigating those roads, even if our kids are little, even if our kids maybe aren't able to discuss political implications of this or that, or you know, they have no desire to unpack what's going on in Israel and Gaza, and, and they don't even know what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, or they have no reason to be sat down and have a conversation with them about gun violence that is running rampant in our country, whatever the challenging issue or conversation might be, it doesn't always have to be something so tense or so stressed or so difficult. It's instead the the principle and the idea that we want our kids to know that they can talk to us in the first place. We want our children to know that this is a place where ideas are discussed, where independent thinking is encouraged, where you are valued and listened to and maybe most especially heard. We've been struggling with this with our daughter, Rose, lately. We realized that um, we interrupt each other a lot in our house. Somebody gets excited to reply to something, and, and it's just kind of the way conversation flows is we're all kind of talking over each other, and Rose really dislikes it. She really doesn't like it. If, if she's in the middle of saying something or, you know, she asks a question or she's giving a response, and sometimes we'll just kind of jump in to either correct very quickly or to redirect very quickly, and she'll look at us, and she said, you didn't even let me finish. It broke my heart just the other day. She was explaining to me how she'd cleaned something up in her room. And according to my standards of cleanliness, it was not clean. But according to her, she had put things where she wanted to be able to find them later. And I kind of cut her off mid-sentence as she was explaining it to me. And I, I saw her face fall and I realized I did it. And I said, I'm sorry, buddy. Finish what you wanted to say. And she said, you do that all the time, mom. You don't let me finish. And it really, it hurt my heart. I had to apologize. I got down to her level, explained to her that I was just in a rush and I shouldn't have been. And I could tell it meant the world to her that I had apologized, but that I also acknowledged that this was a a problem and I needed to fix it to make her feel heard. That, I think, is at the heart of what Sharon shares. When we discuss with people, when we dialogue with people, especially when we disagree with them, and especially with our children, we're trying to help them navigate how to have these conversations. To feel heard is so important. You should go follow Sharon over on Instagram. 
Sharon says so. She posts some really incredible things. She answers a lot of questions concerning the news, navigates things in a, in a very middle-of-the-road manner. She's a great follow. I highly, highly recommend following her. And hey, thank you so much for listening to our rebroadcast. We've got some pretty great episodes that we've done over the years. And so from time to time, we want to share those excellent episodes with you so you can remember all the great stuff that we've done for Like a Mother. We'll be back uh, in a few weeks to chat with uh, a fantastic guest who's going to join us to talk about navigating uh, the struggles of loss, especially during the season of Lent. I think it's important for us to talk about how when we, we lose, whether it's a child to miscarriage or we lose dreams or hopes that we had planned or whatever it might be in our life, the grief or the loss that we're experiencing, how we can walk through that grief, walk through that valley with the Lord by our side. And then as mothers, how we can help our children navigate that. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. Hey, give our show a rating and a review and a follow. Share it with other people, especially this episode. This was one of our best that we've done. We're so grateful that we were able to share it with you again today, right here on Like a Mother. We're so grateful for our sponsor today. The Beauty Will Save the World Summer Theology Camp is happening this summer at the University of St. Francis in Fort Wayne, Indiana, July 28th to August the 1st. If you want your children to experience something truly beautiful, to experience how God calls to us through beauty, through the noise of our world, well, then you should send your teenagers to Beauty Will Save the World. This summer theology camp is an incredible opportunity and experience for them to learn their faith, to encounter the Lord in a very unique way through beauty. So go to the link down in our show notes or visit go.sf.edu slash beauty. You'll find out more there. They are our sponsors for today's episode, and we're so grateful that they did. This has been a production of OSV Podcasts. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com.